Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. How are you? Doing well? Doing well. I need you to repeat after me. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You may be seated. It is indeed an honor this evening for me to be able to introduce our speaker. As I find myself in these last months and weeks of my ministry and uh, the service that I've been able to give to the church, I reflect back on a lot of things. And one thing I reflect back on ties in to our speaker tonight. Some of you are aware because he's been with us before. Others of you have come in the last couple years since Dr. London has been able to be with us. And so I'm just going to bring you to, to an understanding of why he is so important to me. I was saved when I was eight years old in a revival service, actually a children's revival service, when his granddad, was Dr. A.S. London, was the evangelist. And so that stands out for me. And not only that, uh, I joined the church following that uh, service. They didn't know anything about uh, uh, membership classes back then. If you'd been saved, come on into the church. So I was saved through the week, and on Sunday morning, I joined the church. Been in Nazarene ever since. But then uh, I also had the honor and privilege of sitting under the ministry of his dad, one of the greatest preachers I've ever known. My dad also, who was a minister in the church and now in heaven as well as his dad, dad often talked about uh, the ministry of, of your dad, Dr. Holland London. And he impacted our lives, he impacted our church. I've read his books and uh, what great writings he did. And uh, I, I had a great love for him as my district superintendent when I was a boy. And then uh, some of you may not be aware, uh, Dr. London is, uh, is now the, the pastor to pastors for the focus on the family, uh, which means that he works with uh, Dr. Jim Dobson. Uh, you may not be aware that uh, Jim Dobson and I were first and second graders together. Now, can you imagine a school teacher having to live with both of us in the classroom? Uh, so, so we went to the first and second grade together, and so I, I got a chance to sort of know this family in, in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the pastor lived across the street from us, Jimmy. I knew him as Jimmy Lee. That's not his name. Lee's not his name. But they said there were so many James in the family, they had to sort of create names for some of them. So Jimmy Lee lived across the street from us. We played together. And uh, I just thank God as I come to this point in my life for, for those intersections that he gave to me. Intersection with your granddad. Intersection with your dad. An intersection with Jimmy. And uh, so God, God just is good to us. He's been good to me to give me a chance to, to be touched by these people. Dr. London uh, has been a great pastor, Pastor Salem First Church of the Nazarene, Pastor Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene, and now all across America in uh, great events in states all across the nation, he is pastor to pastors. And I am just so thankful that you have given us the honor of having you here this evening. And, and I know that you've met our students before, but there are more here that you haven't met. And uh, it's just a joy for me to introduce the students to you as well. Dr. London, thanks for coming. God bless you. Well, good evening, everybody. It's, uh, it's fun to go someplace and speak when you can go home to your own bed and your own wife. <laughs> Not that I would go to any other wife, but I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> at least at least to my own wife and uh, it's an honor to be here I was telling Dr. Sanders that 
way back before a lot of you were born, I was on the board of the Bible College for about eight years here when, when Dr. Oliver was, uh, was president of, in those early days when uh, you didn't have all the, all the nice buildings that you have now. And it, it was just, it's just such a wonderful thing to have been kind of on the ground floor of the Bible College and then to see what's happened here and to see how God has used and then to go all over the country and to see pastors and youth pastors and and pastors' wives who have uh, been a part of the Bible College like you are. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Now, <clears throat> I, I pastored for over 30 years, and uh, I, learned, uh, I learned that if, if you don't want to know, you, you better not ask. And, and uh, I, I don't know if I, this one pastor, he was just preaching away, and he wanted to do kind of an illustrated sermon. He just wanted to do it so that people would really get the point. And so he took four jars, and then one jar he put uh, alcohol and in one jar he put smoking tobacco and one jar he put uh, uh, chocolate and another jar he just put dirt and then he took uh, four worms and he held them up and one at a time he dropped one worm in the alcohol and one worm in the smoke and one worm in the chocolate and one worm in the, in the dirt and then he just preached away and preached away and preached away and then when he got to the end of his sermon he dramatically reached into the alcohol and pulled out the worm and it was dead. And then he reached into the tobacco smoke and pulled out the worm and it was dead. And he reached into the chocolate syrup and pulled out the worm and it was dead. And then he reached into the dirt and he pulled out this other worm and it was just wiggling around like crazy. And then he made a mistake. He looked out at the audience and he said, do you understand what I've tried to tell you today? Do you understand what I've said to you in this message? Do you understand? And one little old lady from the back stood up and she said, yeah, pastor, I think I got it. He said, ma'am, what profound thought have you come to? She said, pastor, I learned this today. If you drink, smoke, and eat a lot of chocolate, you'll never get worms. <laughs> and then I preach a lot of sermons at the... That uh, I probably should have had worms or something, but uh, uh, this, uh, you know, focus on the family. We do a lot of stuff with marriage and people and stuff. And, and this groom wanted to surprise his bride on the wedding day, so he arranged with the bakery to have a Bible verse inscribed on the cake. And so he chose 1 John 4.18. I know you Bible students would know that right off. 1 John 4.18, which reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. But the baker, man, he didn't know anything about Scripture. And he didn't know First John from John. And so he put on the cake the inscription from John 4.18 on this wedding cake, which read, you are right when you say you have no husband. <laughs> the fact is you have had five husbands. <laughs> and the man you now have is not your husband. <laughs> 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 and I just think back, you, you, you guys in going into the pastoring especially, you'll, uh, you know, you'll have so many experiences with weddings and funerals and standing up there over some poor dead guy and forget his name and, and uh, be trying to perform a ceremony and they pass out right in front of you. You'll remember those days. And so will they, but oh, I don't know about the, I don't know about the dead guy, but but uh, you know, uh, 
it's been two or three years ago. I was, uh, I was flying from Denver to Tulsa. To, uh, I was going to focus on the family sponsoring a, a uh, event for pastors' wives. And, and I'd just been wrestling with, uh, with all the issues that we deal with that focus on the family and the pastoral ministry division. We have a, what we call a clergy care line where people from all over the world call. It's, an eight, it's a toll-free number, and if they want to be prayed for or if they have a counseling issue or if they're going through a difficult time in their ministry or if they need resources, they call us. We handle about five or 600 crisis calls every month. And, uh, and I was dealing with all kind of uh, immorality and, and guys doubting their call and leaving and doing all this stuff. And, and I was really burdened. And, 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 I, and I was flying. I was, just, I was praying to the Lord. I was just saying, Lord, would you just give me something that, that I can use to to help these men and women that we serve, just to kind of, kind of, well, the thing I prayed was to come to a place where they live above reproach, where they live, like Paul said in Ephesians 4, where they live lives in true righteousness and holiness, where they can be truly imitators of God, dearly loved children, like it says in Ephesians 5.1. And this whole aspect of the shepherd kept kept coming to me. Well, what did it mean? What was the significance? And I, I got to Tulsa, and I got off the plane and got to the hotel, and the restaurant was closed, and so I sat in the bar. And as I was sitting there, God just seemed to guide my hand, and we developed what we call the shepherd's covenant. It's just a little simple concept based on the word grace. I, along with 10 or 20,000 other pastors around the world, wear this pin. It's a simple shepherd's crook, and it doesn't even mention focus on the family because that's not what it's about. But it's based on, on just the simple word grace. And one of the things that had happened in my life several years ago was the co-host at Focus on the Family fell morally, and uh, Jim Dobson and I stood before our, 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 our uh, employees and and just reveal that to them. And he had been a co-host with Jim for some 16 years or whatever. Sat beside him day after day. Had been introduced to some of the greatest spiritual leaders in the, in the world. And when that chapel was over, when we recognized the finality of all of this, I was walking up the steps to my office and uh, I was really angry because this man was also my co-host on our Pastor to Pastor series. He cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars just erasing the voice. And I remember walking up those steps and just, just really angry inside, and as I was walking up the steps, there was just this sense of the awareness of God that just said to me, Son, but by my grace, that could be you. It was almost like he poured cold water on my anger because I thought and I recognized all those moments where just one idle step or one, or one careless word or, or one just meaningless touch could have destroyed my ministry and, and even my, my marriage. But by the grace of God. And as I sat in that bar in Tulsa, Oklahoma, downtown Tulsa, the Lord just began to 
to guide my hand. And we built the shepherd's covenant based on five simple concepts. Number one, genuine accountability. I believe with all my heart that no man is an island and that some of the greatest mistakes that are made in ministry is when those like you, even now in your youth and even now in just the fledgling part of your ministry, when all of a sudden you think that you can handle it and that you can be strength to yourself when every one of us needs someone to ask us big questions. To ask us things like, are you fulfilling the mandates of your call? Have you given adequate time to Bible study and prayer? Have you allowed any sexually explicit material to enter your mind or your heart? Have you treated your wife and children with respect and honor? Are you fulfilling the mandates of your call? Just simple little questions that kind of stop us in our tracks. I did a long interview with a radio station today and he was talking about the loneliness of pastors and, and the truth is that only about three out of 10 pastors across America have anyone who holds them accountable, anyone who's a close friend. Who asks you big questions? Who is it that you have allowed into your life, like a David Jonathan, who loves you as though they love themselves. <clears throat> the second was just the, the word right relationships, the R in grace. Right relationships. In three specific areas. Right relationships with your family, first of all. The number one call we get on our clergy care line at Focus on the Family 35% of the calls deals with the pastor's family and marriage. That seems to be the, the number one issue that pastors face today. Not pornography, not issues of the call, but, but just balancing family and balancing ministry and, and doing justice to both. You know, as a pastor, and I'm sure a lot of you men who have been pastors in here Nearly every Mother's Day, I'd preach a sermon, if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And man, that's really true. We had a little deal on our refrigerator for the longest time that just said, if Papa ain't happy, ain't nobody cares. <laughs> but right relationships with your kids, but also right relationships with your colleagues. What we find in our work with pastors, there seems to be so much jealousy in the ministry. So much finger pointing and so much doubting and, and so much accusing when the truth is we're really in this thing together. The body of Christ is a, is a, is a massive body and, and when the leaders of the church can, can agree on what they can agree on and let some of the other things go, we can make a mighty mark for Christ in this world. But as it is today, evangelism, in a sense, is almost dead in the United States. The church has kind of gone to kind of a softer cell and kind of an easy belief and kind of a feel-good ministry. And, you know, the bottom line of every church is just simply, is anybody getting saved here? Because if they're not, we can do a bunch of other stuff. I mean, you could, 
just go join a club and have fellowship and sing songs and eat food. Is anybody getting saved? The other one in that same vein is, uh, is with your congregation. There's a study out recently that says that 53% of the churches in America are so filled with contention that they have literally paralyzed themselves from growth. And I don't know if you've ever been in a dysfunctional church, but if you've been in a dysfunctional church, you know that it's very unhealthy and it only breeds more dysfunction. And until there's healing, until the Holy Spirit is allowed to wash that church clean, it's like, it's like a mark of, of negativity on the doorpost. Right relationships. The other is that of a shepherd's heart, and I'll talk about that in just a moment very quickly. See, I believe that in ministry today that uh, we've got enough CEOs and enough entrepreneurs. To me, there needs to be a, a call and a, re, and a return to what it means to be a shepherd. See, and a shepherd does three things. A shepherd not only protects, but a shepherd provides. 1 Peter 5 talks about, Peter, feed my sheep. Don't let them starve to death. But a, but a shepherd also serves. We take off the vestments and we put on the towel and the basin and we walk out into the village not as that one that should be served but that one who is willing to serve. And you know in John 13 when Jesus was trying to impress the disciples on what it meant to be a servant, and he asked him that little simple question, do you understand what I've said to you? What he was saying was, you can't be a disciple, you can't be a minister unless you're willing to be a servant. And he washed their feet. When I left Pasadena First Church, which was at that time one of our largest denominational churches, and uh, we moved to Colorado, they gave us overcoats and rubber boots and stuff because they thought we'd be freezing to death here. And, but they also gave me this ring. And I know, you know, time Nazarene pastor, I was supposed to wear rings, but I didn't give a rip. So um, <laughs> it never did bother me. None of that stuff ever really bothered me. But, um, and I mean, people know that too. But uh, yes, we were so stupid as a church in so many ways. <laughs> I, just, I, just think, I just think back and growing up in Arkansas. Man, my mom, they, my mom is a DS's wife, and she had this little tiny, it looked like a ring that came out of a Cracker Jack box. And you know, they just thought she was the most wicked woman that ever lived. I'd just like to go punch them out if I could find them. But <laughs> thank God they're dead. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but you know, every, every, every Sunday morning, I'd, I'd begin our worship by just saying, God loves you today as though you're the only one in all the world. And had he not have sent his son to die for the whole human race, he would have sent his son to die just for you. That's how important you are. And I know they got tired of me saying it and everything, but when they gave me this ring, it's the symbol of the stained glass window at Pasadena First Church. It's this beautiful major old big, 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 big building with a bunch of empty pews now. But, but uh, 
that gripes me too. But, uh, but I saw the ring, and, they, and they, I said, thanks, this is really nice and everything. And they said, no, no, look inside. And inside this ring is, is etched those words, God loves you today, as though you're the only one in all the world to love. They heard it. You know why they heard it? Because I really loved them. A lot of them I didn't like. But I loved them. And I served them. And I visited them in the hospital. And I cried with them. And I sat in coffee shops and talked about their life. And they were important to me. Why? Because I was their shepherd. That's why. And you, you, you can't allow all the stuff that you hear from all these different big-name guys, you can't allow that kind of elevated lifestyle dull the significance of being a shepherd. You just can't do it. And I know i got to hurry, but the C in gray stands for constant safeguards. And what that means is that you and I have got to build a hedge of protection around our, our ministry, around our family, and around our, our morality. Just uh, this week, we dealt with a pastor. One of the, he was on the Council of 62 for the Southern Baptist major, and then he was caught in Oklahoma City at a, at a gay hotel, embarrassing his family and his church and everybody. And At first, he said that he was down there to minister to the gays. Then they realized that he was down there ministering with the gays. And we deal with that every day. We lose a pastor every day on our clergy care line who could not come to the place where they could build a hedge of protection around their ministry and their family in such a way that they could do everything to withstand. See, that's what Paul was saying. He said, when you've done everything to stand, you've got to keep on standing. You can't stand if you don't have something firm to hang on to. And that's your faith, and, 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 that's, and that's your reputation. I mean, the only thing we have is our reputation. I mean, nobody's going to remember your sermons for very long. But they remember who you are. They remember how you impact them. Just as Dr. Sanders talking about my granddad and my dad, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I mean, my granddad's been dead for a long, long time, but still his influence is felt. See, that's, we want our influence to, I mean, people will soon forget what we say, but they'll never forget the sermon you live. I promise you, they'll never forget the sermon you live. And that last one is just uh, embracing Christ intimately, which means that it becomes more than just rudimentary and more than mechanical, that it becomes this relationship where you feel comfortable in the presence of God where you can snuggle up to him and put your arm around him and you can talk about anything and when you've fallen or when you've stubbed your toe, you can walk into his presence and know that no matter what you've done or what you've said, he loves you as though you were the only one in all the world to love. It's a relationship. And it's something that he's jealous of. You know, the average pastor spends less than 20 minutes a day alone with the Lord. 20 minutes out of 24 hours. Think about that. Think where our power comes from. Think where our source of connection comes from. Praying and 
loving and listening. Well, listen to John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And then if you go on down to verse 22, 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What was he saying? He was saying that uh, I care about the sheep, every one of them. I know their voice and they know mine. And if need be, I'm willing to lay my life down for them that their lives may be saved. See, that's what the shepherd does. In the midst of a very traumatic and complicated world, the shepherd walks into the midst of this danger. Why? Because he knows the world wants to destroy those whom God has given him to oversee. And he says... I'm not going to let the world do that. I'm going to be there for them, no matter what it costs. I know that you're getting a great, wonderful education. But the one thing I hope that you'll remember out of all these things that I've tried to say to you is that the world needs genuine, loving, honest-to-goodness shepherds who are more interested in the sheep God has given them than they are in their own success, their prestige, or popularity, or position. To be a shepherd is the greatest call in all the world. What I've done tonight is I've brought uh, some shepherd covenant envelopes. I hope you'll take them. You'll open it up and you'll see that it explains the shepherd's covenant and there's a little card there it talks about the commitment to the shepherd's covenant. It has the covenant there. If you're interested, if you fill out the card and give it to your professor or take it to the chaplain's office in the next few days or whatever, they'll give them back to me at Focus on the Family, and we'll send you the second packet that has this lapel pin, the shepherd's covenant guide, a wallet card. And then if you have a computer, and most of you do, every Monday morning, I'll send you a Shepherd's Covenant encourager, not only to remind you of who you are in Christ, but to encourage you in your walk as a shepherd. I hope many of you, especially those of you going into pastoral ministries, will take one of those envelopes. Back there also is just a brochure that talks about our ministry to pastors. Our Father, I love you so much tonight, and I thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've afforded me 
to be here with these wonderful folks. I thank you for the faculty. Many of them do what they do sacrificially. I thank you for Dr. Sanders and man, what a great legacy you've given him here and it will live on and on and on, I know. But I pray mostly for these young people, these people who sit in this, this auditorium, that coming to this school will not just become mechanical or going through the motions, but that as they open up their heart to the teaching of the professor, as they open up their heart to, to you, that you instill within their own hearts that they're servant shepherds. You've given them a role. You've given them a call. You've given them an opportunity. And oh, Lord, don't let us take it lightly. But give us that sense of your presence in such a way that we'll look to you, the great shepherd, to guide us as we seek to serve those as an under-shepherd. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. and all, knowing full well that you'll embrace us and take us and love us as though we were perfect. And in your eyes we are. For that we give you praise. Amen.